So if you have your Bibles this morning, I encourage you to open to Genesis chapter 12, where the passage for us is, is in your worship folder. We're continuing with our series on uh, evangelism and what that looks like. And today we're going to start a couple weeks on the Old Testament. Um, and it might surprise you to know that there's evangelism in the Old Testament. Usually we think of, oh, that's, that's just a New Testament thing. Well, no, it is not. Uh, now, it's a little bit different, and we're going to flesh that out as we look at it. Uh, but we're going to see very clearly what God had planned in the old, fulfilled in the new. So if you're able, would you stand with me as I read from Genesis chapter 12. Our Heavenly Father, come upon us with your Holy Spirit and open our eyes. Give us insight into what is here, that they would be more than simply words on a page, but they would penetrate our hearts and that we would understand the call upon our lives as believers uh, to take the gospel, to make disciples, to show the love of Christ in all that we do and all that we say. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So from Genesis chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. Now, it's pretty common to come across people who, who think of the God of the Old Testament as this um, vengeful, mean, nasty God who, who was willing to destroy entire cities and, and wipe them off the, the, the face of the earth, uh, as compared to Jesus in the New Testament, who is um, loving and kind and forgiving. In fact, I've, I've heard some uh, pastors, noted pastors, who say, no, we don't need to preach out of the Old Testament because modern sensibilities, it really offends them. Uh, they don't understand that God, and, and we really don't need to be talking about him and all that he did. Just stirs the pot a little bit. As I said, why in the world would he destroy entire cities? Why would he wipe out populations and inhabitants, etc.? But most of us who are familiar with our Bible immediately recognize that that that's wrong, or at least a very incomplete and shallow view of God as he is, uh, has revealed himself in his word in the Old Testament. Yet many of us still uh, believe that God wasn't really concerned with anybody outside of Israel in the Old Testament. Uh, and in the New Testament, we see the command to do what? Take the gospel into all the world and make disciples. Now, that's very different than the call to Abraham. At, at first, I'm going to bless you and your people, and your descendants shall be as the sands on the shore and the skies uh, and the stars in the sky. But we understand the fulfillment of Abraham's call is in Christ Jesus. If you look at the um, genealogy in Matthew, and now Matthew was written to a Jewish audience, remember, so he's, Matthew begins with Abraham. Okay, and carries on through to the birth of Christ. So we often read scripture as if it is only in the New Testament where God is finally concerned with the peoples of the world. 
uh, finally concerned with the spread of the good news, and suddenly it comes upon the rest of the world, uh, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. The reality is God's the same in the New Testament as the same as he was in the Old Testament. God is concerned with the spread of his name. He is concerned with his glory that the nations would declare those things and see him and people from every tribe, tongue, and nation would come into the kingdom and eventually into heaven. So God has always, always desired and provided for those who are his to come to him and enjoy the covenant relationship that he has with his people. Now, properly understood, the call to repentance and faith is much a theme in the Old Testament as it is in the, in the New Testament. So the Old Testament, we find, is filled with acts and wonders of the glories of our Heavenly Father. And, and the nations around Israel were very aware of what was going on. Okay, let me quote from Joshua chapter 2. And these are the words of Rahab. Remember, Rahab was the, and she and her family were the only family saved in Jericho. So let's think of this for a second. Um, you know the song, and the walls have come tumbling down, except for the one part which was Rahab's house. You know, if we read scripture as it, as it lays out for us, they, they walk around uh, on the last day seven times, and they, they blow the horns, and the walls come down. But because Rahab and her family were gathered in one spot, and what we can tell, her house was on the wall, the rest of the walls fall, except for this one part where Rahab is. Okay. Now, you might want to think that the people in, Jerusalem, in Jericho would have gone, I wonder why that wall didn't fall down. Okay. What is it about her? And Joshua tells us in chapter 2, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the, Lord, of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. You completely wiped them out. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now, it's interesting that even though the whole city of Jericho had heard these things, and as Rahab says, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man, she was the only one that, we, that believed. The rest of the city knew these things, but they did not believe. Only Rahab. Now, the nation of Israel began here really in chapter 12 of Genesis with the calling of Abram, whose name is later changed to Abraham, to leave his home and go to a land that the Lord would show him. The Lord didn't give him directions. The Lord didn't say, this is where you're going. Put it in your camel's GPS or whatever and head off. He just said, I'm going to show you. And what did Abraham do? Well, okay. He's called me. I'm going to go. It wasn't his plan. Abraham was not looking to resettle. In fact, Abraham was not looking for God at all. Uh, Joshua 24 says Abraham was a pagan. He worshipped idols. He and his family but God, in his providence, out of all the people in the land, chose Abraham to fulfill his purposes. Isaiah refers to Abraham as the rock from which you were hewn, the quarry from which you were dug. Reminds the Jews that God sovereignly called Abraham out of paganism in order to bless him and then that the entire world would be blessed through his lineage. 
There was nothing inherent in Abraham that made him stand out. As I said, he wasn't looking for God. God was looking for him. God chose him because God wanted to. Okay? It was his perfect will. And when God spoke to him, Abraham obeyed. He said, okay, let's go. He packed up everything and he left. Let me re- review the passage once again. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. That's the future. I'm going to show you. Pack up your stuff and head out. I'm going to show you where you're going. And I, that is the Lord, will make of you a great nation. And I, the Lord, will bless you and make your name great. The reason for that? So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you all. The families of the earth shall be blessed. So here we find the ultimate purpose for God's calling Abraham away from idolatry and promising to bless him and that God would bless all the peoples of the earth through him and his lineage, Jesus our Lord. The ultimate application is there. We find that fulfilled in Matthew's genealogy. So scripture tells us that God's plan was to justify the Gentiles by faith, by preaching the gospel to Abraham beforehand. And you think, if, if I got my, uh, my, my chronology right, um, we're talking about many thousand years before Jesus came. So you're talking about Abraham preaching the gospel so that the Gentiles would come to faith even then. Remember, the law never saved anybody. The law never saved anybody. Abraham believed it was counted to him as righteousness. That's what it says. Galatians chapter 3. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit. How? Through faith. Through faith. Now, when you look at the Old Testament and you study it, you will not find a clear command anywhere to go into all the world with the message of salvation. That's particularly a New Testament teaching. It's the church's responsibility to go into all the world and to make disciples. But this doesn't mean that Israel wasn't to be concerned with the surrounding nations. Yes, they were somewhat separate from the nations, dietary laws, uh, laws about um, combining fabrics together, uh, laws about uh, the ritual laws, the ceremonial laws, not working on the Sabbath, all of those things kept Israel separate, but they were also designed to draw others to the Lord, that they would see that separateness, that they would hear of the mighty works of the Lord, and that this is his people, and that people would be drawn to the Lord because of the behavior and the lifestyle of his chosen people. God intended Israel to provide a, I'm quoting here, a visible, attractive alternative to the empty religions and practices of other nations. Now, what were the practices? Idolatry, pagan feasts, sexual orgies, child sacrifice, all of those things. Israel was to stand apart from those things, to be a beacon for the world around it, to be a magnet that would draw people to the Lord. 
Unfortunately, because people were involved, they really didn't do it that well all the time. In fact, they didn't do it very well much at all. And, and instead of living separate, what they began to do is, is intermarry and, and take on some of those pagan practices, even the worst of them. But are there any examples in the Old Testament of outreach to the pagan nations? Well, you can guess the answer is going to be yes here. So in the law of Moses, God made a clear provision for allowing foreigners to participate in the Passover and to live in Israel. Quoting from Exodus chapter 12. When a stranger dwells with you and wants to keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised and then let him come near and keep it. And he shall be as a native of the land. For no uncircumcised person shall eat it. One law shall be for the native born and for the stranger who dwells among you. So those who were drawn to the Lord by the separateness of Israel and by the mighty works of our Heavenly Father, provision is made for them to come in and be part of the covenant people. So it's possible for both Israelites and foreigners to share that same relationship. Now, of course, the foreigners, as we saw, had to abide by the law, conform to the practices, things like that. Feast of the Booths, in particular, encourages Israelites and foreigners to hear the law of God. Deuteronomy. Gather the people together, men and women, and little ones, and the stranger who is within your gates, that they may hear, and that they may learn to fear the Lord your God, and carefully observe all the words of his law. So get everybody together. Get the kids together so that they hear the words of the Old Testament. They hear the words of the law. Get the foreigner in who wants to be a part. Let him know. Let him become aware of what God calls us to do. When Solomon dedicated the first temple, he offered a prayer. Concerning a foreigner who is not of your people of Israel, but has come from a far country for your name's sake, for they will hear of your great name and your strong hand and your outreached arm. When he comes and prays toward this temple, hear in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all which the foreigner calls you to do, that all peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your people Israel, that they may know that this temple which I have built is called by your name. First Kings chapter 8. So God intended to provide protection and care for Israel so that foreigners from all over the world will hear the news. Remember Ahab. She did not see these things, but word had trickled back to her in Jericho, and she'd heard, and all the hearts of the people had melted in fear because of what the Lord was doing, and she believed. In Isaiah chapter 58, God calls his people to be a light to the nations. Is this not the fast that I have chosen, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? Okay, get that, you understand. So part of the reason that there were fasts in Israel was to devote things to the Lord, but other parts of the reason there were fasts in Israel was to have food to give to the stranger was to have food to give to those who were hungry and in, and in need. Remember when James talked about Boaz and Ruth and how he commanded his workers to leave extra stuff in the field for her. 
Okay? She was a Moabite. She wasn't an Israelite, but such was his care for the foreigner. God didn't intend for Israel to fast only for spiritual and ritual reasons. He intended to do so because it enabled them to provide food for the foreigner, for the one who was interested, the one who was in need. We look at the mission God intended for Israel and the mission of the church. Now, these are two very important words here. For Israel, we more, more can use. That's not quite the right English structure. We can better use the word come for Israel and go for the church. Come for Israel and go for the church. Israel was to be a magnet. Israel was to be separate from the pagan nations around it and live a life of separateness that would draw the pagan nations to the Lord. The church is in the midst of the fallen world, and our command is to make disciples. And how do we make disciples? We go and make disciples. Okay? So come and go, a magnet and a light. We, I keep going back to Sunday school psalms, right? This is the light of mine. I've got to let it shine. Okay, let it shine till when? Till Jesus comes. Okay? He's not here today, so we better keep shining. Better keep shining. The nation of Israel was separate to the Lord. Diet, marriage, clothing, practices, etc. They were the magnet. We have been given the gospel, this treasure in clay jars, to take into the world. To live it and to declare it. The Gentiles shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Isaiah chapter 60. So here are some examples that I found of of Gentiles that came and believed and lived among Israel in the Old Testament. Many came from Egypt, chapter 12 of Exodus. Now I assume that because that's in the, the Exodus narrative. I assume that during that time, when the things were going on, the plagues came, some Egyptians were drawn to the Lord because of it. And either because of the outreach of the Israelites who were slaves. So when the Israelites left in Exodus, some Egyptians went with them as well. We don't have any numbers or names. It just says some of the multitude went with them. Out of Canaan, Rahab and her family. Out of Ethiopia, Queen of Sheba. I'm going to quote from 1 Kings. The Queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord. Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, he has made you king that you may execute justice and righteousness. The fame of Solomon went forward. The fame of our Heavenly Father went forward. Ruth was a Moabite. Out of Syria came Naaman. All the inhabitants of Assyria, the capital city of Assyria, Nineveh. Now, you're going to hear this. Uh, I think Dan's doing Jonah, so it's going to be the, uh, the worst evangelist ever, but the best message ever, something like that, okay? Um, so all the inhabitants of the city of Nineveh were, were changed. That one generation. Remember, the king even said to the animals, or ordered the animals to wear sackcloth too. Okay? How do you put sackcloth on a cow? But that's what he did as a sign of mourning and repentance before the Lord. Uriah the Hittite, Bathsheba's first husband, had come to serve David 
And by serving David, we can presume that he had turned to the Lord as well. The Shunammite women who honors Elisha in 2 Kings. In Jeremiah's day, when there was no faith in Israel, we find Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, is the only one willing to support Jeremiah. So to become this witness, God instructed the nation of Israel to show love to foreigners who choose to live among them. From Leviticus, the stranger who dwells among you shall be to you as one born among you. You shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And how far had the Jews in the New Testament in that first century strayed from this? Remember? Take your Bible, if you have it open, turn to Luke chapter 10. Remember, there was a place north of Israel called Samaria. And they were considered half-breeds. And the Jews, in an effort to remain pure, wouldn't even walk through Samaria. The shortcut. They would go around the entire nation of Samaria because they didn't want to be tainted by walking through. And heaven forbid a Samarian talk to them or touch them in some way. Well, Jesus addresses this in particular in Luke chapter 10, verse 25 and following. And and everybody should be familiar with this. This is the parable of the Good Samaritan. So verse 25 of chapter 10 of Luke. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. That's Jesus. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit life, eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Isn't that easy? Okay, there's four or five things there we have to do. Man, that's easy. And then verse 29 begins with that wonderful little word, but, okay, but he desiring to justify himself said, Jesus, who is my neighbor? Because, you know, I like that neighbor, but that neighbor doesn't look like me. That neighbor is different, and I don't particularly like them, so I only want to be neighbors with this person. Okay? Think of your, the people who live, the ten houses around your house, if you can count ten houses around your house. Which neighbors do you like? I'm thinking, I like this one, and this one, and this one. Uh, not so much here, because their kids ran through my flower beds for years when they were little, and, and nothing stopped them. It's only flowers, but, you know, I hold a grudge. Okay. So, who is my neighbor? Well, the person that I like. The person that looks like me, sounds like me, you know, that kind of thing. So, Jesus makes this illustration. Verse 30. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, if you've ever been to Israel and seen that road, you can see how this happened. Okay, It is down in the bottom of a ravine and lots of rocks and thieves just wait to jump on people. Uh, Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest, that would be a Jewish priest, um, a, a man ostensibly of God, was going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. He didn't know if he was dead or not. To touch something dead would have 
put him in, in an unclean state and he couldn't go and work in, in, as a priest because he would have had to purify himself. He said, uh, it looks like he's dead, I'll go on. So likewise, a Levite, obviously one who worked in the temple. When he came to the place, saw him, same thing, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, the half-breed, the ones that Jews didn't like, the ones that they were willing to walk all the way around the country rather than go through, a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. When he saw him, he had compassion. Now remember, compassion is not, I, I touched here, but it's not here. Compassion comes from down here. Compassion comes from our, our gut. Okay, it is way more than pity. It is it moves us to act in ways that are countercultural. Remember, Jesus comes upon the lepers in Mark chapter one, and he says, "If you're willing, you can make me clean." And what does Jesus do? Touches the leper. Immediately, it was assumed Jesus had leprosy as well. He didn't have to touch the leper. All he had to do was say, "Be clean. I'm willing." But he moved by compassion. He touched him. Same type of thing here. The Samaritan is moved by compassion to do something that is countercultural. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, that's two days' worth of wages, gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor of the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, that would be the lawyer who asked them a question. He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So who's our neighbor? Anyone that we can show mercy to. Anyone that we can show the love of Christ to. Anyone that we can reach out to. Go and do likewise. Israel was supposed to witness to the world through the obedience of their lives. In the same way the church is sent out into the world to spread the gospel of Christ, to make disciples with lives of holiness and the declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the church, that's us today, we serve both as the magnet in our holy living and as the light as we declare the gospel. God made Israel special in the Old Testament among the nations, called them to be a witness, called them to stand apart from the rest of the world that the rest of the world would see who our Heavenly Father was. It says that they were a kingdom of priests in the same way that the Levites were set apart for work in the temple. The Israelites were set apart for work in this world, set apart for God's purposes, that all the world would be blessed. In Jesus Christ. So how are they going to be blessed in Jesus Christ today? That's our part. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you today and, and we see the task that is laid before us. I mean, it's summed up in, in, in the words to Abraham. He was blessed so that all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Now, he didn't understand that fully. He just knew you would provide it. For when you call, and we can't help but go. 
And we see he was far from perfect, just like us. Um, he was a liar. He was afraid. He didn't fully understand what you were doing. So when you called him to take his son, to offer him to you, he, he did it, trusting in you. And when his boy asked, Lord, or, or Father, you know, where's the sacrifice? Abraham said, God himself will provide it. God himself will provide it. And he has provided it for us now. Lord, you have given us your son, Jesus the Christ. The one who has shed his blood for us. Given his life for us. Come out of the tomb. Therefore, we will too. And now he calls us to a life of holiness and godliness and righteousness that we might glorify you with all that we are. That we might, even as these broken vessels that you've poured your, your, your word into, poured the love of Christ into and, and changed, now you call these broken vessels to live out those things and to take that, that message of salvation, that message of grace, that message of mercy, and to do so with compassion and gentleness, Lord, to declare the things that we know to be true. Heavenly Father, help us to see who our neighbor is. Help us to act in the way that the Samaritan act, that we would show mercy, that we would be the hands and feet of Christ that crosses the street, that shares the things of Christ, that shares the hospitality of a godly home, that shares the compassion that's willing to go beyond what culture says is appropriate, but to do the things that Christ calls us to do. Lord, and in these things, might your glory be seen, might your will be carried out. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.